All right, everybody, welcome to Around the Diamond right here on themajors.net. I am Adam Hernandez. With me is Tony out in Texas. Tony, what's going on, man? Hi, Adam. How you doing, buddy? We're, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we're without tip tonight, but that's okay. We've got, uh, we've got plenty to talk about. It was an extremely busy weekend in Major League Baseball. We had the non-waiver trade deadline come and go this past, uh, actually yesterday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, that's 3 o'clock Central time. Um, but it was it was a pretty it was a pretty active day, especially leading up to it. It wasn't just a day where things were happening on Sunday. We saw lots of trades on uh, we saw lots of trades on Saturday. We saw some we saw some trades on Sunday, and even leading up to it, like I said, um, there was some action going on, and it was very very intriguing uh, trade deadline this year. Um, we saw a lot of movement. We saw some we saw some big names switch teams. Um, we saw some kind of we, we saw some under the radar stuff as well, uh, but we're just gonna we're just gonna jump into it, Tony. We're gonna go ahead and get into uh, the winners and losers of this past MLB non waiver trade deadline. Um, Tony, do you wanna do you wanna take it first? Or do you want me to go? Uh, you know what? Take let's take the winners first. Go, go ahead with your list. Okay, my winners. Um, I'm going to go from the bottom up here. Well, I'm just going to go. I think the biggest winner actually was the Texas Rangers. What they actually did with the acquisitions of Mike Adams, and I'm going to butcher this one, Koji Yahara from Baltimore. Uh, what Texas actually did here is they turned a nine-inning game into a six-inning game. And basically what has to happen with their opponents, their opponents basically have to have the lead by the sixth inning, because if they don't, then they're in big trouble. When you have, because you're gonna have, you're gonna have Yaria coming up, then you're gonna have Adams, then you're gonna be getting into the end of that uh, already established Texas bullpen they have in there, and it's it's, and they're really gonna be able to shut things down from there on out. Um, Mike Adams is arguably probably the best setup guy in baseball, and. Yura is very, very under the radar. He's he got stuck pitching with a with a bad Baltimore team, but he's done a very, very nice job in the in the AL East, um, pitching against the Yankees and the Red Sox. He's managed to keep his ERA down. He's managed to keep his WHIP down, which is uh, which can be tough to do if you're uh, especially if you're a reliever for one, and if you're pitching in that division. Next up, I've got the San Francisco Giants. Um, I like the addition of Carlos Beltran. Um, very, very good splash with that one. And Orlando Cabrera, like that one too, um, given the fact that uh, Beltran gives them a nice middle-of-the-order threat. And then Cabrera gives them some good postseason experience as well. Um, I love what the Atlanta Braves did, um, acquiring Michael Bourne for basically a, uh, a six-pack of, of Milwaukee's best and uh, you know maybe a couple of baseball bats. Uh, Michael Bourne is going to solidify that center field position for the Atlanta Braves, and he's going to solidify that leadoff spot for the uh, for the Braves as well. I really, really like that acquisition. And if I re- and if I if I read that correctly, <laughs> Michael Bourne has as many steals as the Atlanta Braves do altogether. I'll have to double check that stat, but I believe that's the case. Um, I like what the Detroit Tigers did. Um, they they paid a pretty big price for um, the acquisitions of Doug Fister, who was another under the radar guy because I believe of where he was pitching at. He was pitching on a bad 
bad Seattle Mariners team that didn't give him any run support. Um, and they also got David Pauly, who's another guy who's going to be able to come in, kind of uh, help stabilize that Tiger bullpen a little bit. Um, but I like I like those two acquisitions. Um, they did give up a lot, uh, which is why I like what the Seattle Mariners did as well. I like what both teams did in this trade. Seattle ended up getting um, Charlie Furbush, who's a, a pretty well-regarded left-handed, young left-handed pitcher um, in the Tigers organization. They got Casper Wells, who could turn himself into a very, very serviceable outfielder. And they got a top prospect in Francisco Martinez, top third-base prospect in the Tigers system, uh, double-A player. And then they're going to get a player to be named later in this. And this is going to be a top pick from Detroit in 2010. Rumor has it it's going to be Chance Ruffin, um, who Tigers fans had a chance to see uh, last week. Um, again, a guy that's probably going to come in, and he's probably not going to light the world on fire, but he's going to be another one of those um, good back-of-the-rotation guys for Seattle, potentially. Uh, I like what the Phillies did, um, getting Hunter Pence in there. Uh, very, very good pickup for them. Uh, it's 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 hard to think that the Phillies need much of anything, but they did need a bat to go in there and kind of uh, and kind of uh, stabilize that uh, that that starting lineup a little bit. And then I love what the Colorado Rockies did. I don't think they wanted to trade Yobado Jimenez, but they dangled him out there to see what they could get, and they ended, and they ended up getting a uh, just a, a king's ransom. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite radio personalities in the Detroit area likes to use this term. The Colorado Rockies basically jail sex the Cleveland Indians for Yobaldo Jimenez. Those are my winners from this past trade deadline. Tony, what do you have? Jim Brandstander uh, thing, by the way. I'm sorry. What was that? A Jim Brandstander thing, or was it um, who, who in Detroit? That? <laughs> oh, that would be uh, that would be Mr. Mike Valente, um, one of my favorite uh, radio guys uh, in the Detroit area. I love him; he's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's Valente's one of my favorite. Good fella. <laughs> but what do you have, Tony? Um, you know, and I do actually have six teams myself. Uh, I like what the Giants did with uh, Cabrera and Beltron. Um, I think the Tigers are going to go a long way with Pauly and Fister. Um, yeah, and, and I have to agree. That's one of the all-time name trades of uh, of the uh, of, of baseball all time. By the way, just last <laughs> name. I I'm sorry, Tony. One one thing that I loved it was a headline um, that I saw on the internet. Uh, actually, it was from one of my uh, Facebook friends, and he's and he said only only the Tigers could turn a trade in or. A trade into an NC seventeen um, deal here, which was uh, which I thought was kind of was pretty funny. But go ahead, though, Tony. Hey, considering it's a family show, we don't bear repeat. <laughs> um, I do like the, what the Tigers did. I, I liked what the Phils did. Uh, believe it or not, and this is going to come as a little bit of a surprise to you. I like what Toronto did. Now, Toronto basically got Colby Rasmus and Mark Tian. Uh, also, uh, left-handed pitcher Brian Tallett, left-handed pitcher Trevor Miller, and right-handed pitcher P.J. Walters. Now, they, they're they set to make a run. They really didn't give a whole lot up in return. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which you know, actually two of these uh, two of these uh, trade partners are going to come up a little bit later on. But I love I love what Toronto did. They, you know, a lot of the analysts gave them a grade of uh, of A uh, on that just on that trade alone. Um, and of course, um, I, I think the Texas Rangers, you know, they've got it all together. And with the acquisition of uh, Koji Uehara and uh, Mike Adams, they they basically have shored up the bullpen. Now, oh, just a little bit of background behind this. And now that I'm down at Texas, appearing a little just a little bit more the uh, the Texas side of things here. Um, they were after Heat fell. Uh, Mike Adams was actually the secondary pick there, but they looked at this from a contract aspect. Basically what happened was Keith Bell was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Mike Adams has a one year one year left on his contract. And it's exactly what you said earlier about the Rangers. Turning a nine inning game into a six inning game. If you're not up in the sixth inning, you're done. Yep. The San Diego Padres proved that last year with Luke Gregerson in the seventh inning, Mike Adams in the eighth inning, and Keith Bell in the ninth inning. Now you bring that over to the Rangers. Now you got Koji Urahara in the seventh, Mike Adams in the eighth, and Naftali Feliz in the ninth. So that that contract control is one of the main reasons why Mike Adams was more attractive. And another ironic thing about this deal, and you'll like this, the two prospects that, that the Padres received in return, uh, one of the prospects, Joe Whelan, uh, who was pitching down here for Double A Frisco, which is just north of Dallas, uh, just finished pitching a no-hitter against San Antonio, which, ironically enough, was the double-A team for the Padres. Wow. Now he's a Padre. <laughs> how, how do you like that? No-hit no hit the team you're going to. Yeah, you know, that, that's awesome. That is that is that is that is actually that is really cool. That is really cool, and that's some uh, that's some good uh, that's some good knowledge for um, for fans of these two teams, and it's something definitely to look out for. And what are the chances too of that happening? Um, but I, I like I like what you said though about uh, about Heath Bell from the from the Rangers' perspective there, because Heath Bell um, he's, he's going to command a lot of money. On the uh, on the free agent market this year, and and like you said, I mean they get Mike Adams, and and I and I and I just and I think Texas right now has the best bullpen, not only in the American League, not only in the AL West, but in the entire major leagues right now with what they've got going out, what they're rolling out there, and I truly do believe that. I truly do believe that if you do not have the lead and you're playing Texas. By the sixth inning, then you are in big time trouble. Big time and trouble. And here's one prediction for you, Adam. Mike Mike Adams will be the closer for this for this team in 2012. Well, there you go. You've heard it here first, then for uh, for all you Texas Rangers fans out there. Um, but it's going to be fun because I think Texas is definitely going to make it into the playoffs, and it's going to be fun. Uh, See them then. See them then go head to head with some of these better teams, whether it be the Yankees or whether it be the Red Sox, or whoever it is comes in, come whoever it is that comes out in the um, in the AL Central. So, um, what about some of the losers here? Uh, did you want to go ahead and take the losers first, Tony? Uh, you know what? I, I think I will here because actually, the top of my loser board is the Boston Red Sox. And believe it or not, it took them until after the trade deadline to really have it announced. They picked up Eric Bedard, mm-hmm. knowing that Clay Buchholz was probably going to be out for an extreme 
period of time, uh, they went ahead and got Bedard. Now, figured, Ubaldo Jimenez was the name that everybody was bantering around. And they could have gone out if they really wanted to, to try to, to get a solid piece for a pennant run. They, they could have gone out and, and possibly gone and gotten Jason Marquis. Of course, Marquis was off the board. Eric Bedard is not going to be a, a two or three starter for this team. It's going to be a, he's going to be at best a five starter mm-hmm. if they just don't insert him as a as a long reliever. Um, I, I really think the Reds had a poor showing. Pittsburgh just some of the questionable moves that they did. It just you know Ryan Ludwig and, and we talked about this before uh, we came on the air tonight. Ryan Ludwig when it was acquired by the Padres last year at the trade deadline. Well, he's played 160 games for the Padres. He's hit 18 homers and 90 RBIs. He's only hit he's only hit 228 in Petco Park. But when this guy is good, he will light the lamp for you. If this guy's bad, hang on because you just <laughs> you're never you're never going to see any production out of him. And then Carlos Lee, I mean, come on. This is the best that you could do. You're, you're the Pirates. You know, you're up and coming, and, you know, it, it just really didn't show a lot. You know, they didn't show a lot of effort. And, you know, and by far the biggest loser, and, and it's more subtraction than anything, is the Houston Astros. Just from losing Hunter Pence and getting so many basically unproven talent back, so much unproven talent back in trade, uh, I mean, I think they really, this could set them back quite a ways. Yeah, that's, uh, the Houston Astros uh, one is definitely, it's, it's, it's tough for that organization and for the fan base there, considering that they've been bad for so long now. And, and they're basically reporting to two owners. Drake McLean is selling the team, and unfortunately the name of the new owner escapes me for, for the moment, but... You know, Mr. McLean is trying to uh, shed some salary, which is one of the main reasons he couldn't get wa- rid of Juan de Rodriguez. Yeah, because he was just com- they were commanding so much in return, and the guy's got a forty million dollar contract. I mean, wh- who's going to take that on? Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I guess he could be a name that could possibly be thrown around in the uh, in the waiver trade deadline because it seems like no if. If you do place Wandy Rodriguez on waivers, there's not going to be a team in the world that's going to claim that contract on waivers. So he can be a he can be a uh, a candidate to um, for a waiver deadline trade, um, but they, that's that's still yet to be seen. I mean, even I still have teams. I have I still have trouble seeing teams going out and picking up that contract even through a. Uh, through a uh, you know through a trade that um, you know as, as far as a waiver trade goes. Um, however, however desperate a team is, they may try to get them. Exactly, um, and Boston may be in the mix there. Exactly, exactly, and I and I was just thinking the same thing. Did you have any more? Um, no, any? that was that was it. All right, well, my losers. Um, I do have I do have some that you mentioned, Tony. Uh, my first one though is the Chicago White Sox. Um, to tell you the truth, I. Really, I really do not know what the hell Kenny Rogers, or not Kenny Rogers, excuse me, Kenny Williams was um, was doing getting rid of Edwin Jackson when you, at the time, I believe, were only four games out of the uh, of the AL Central race there. Um, 
Edwin Jackson has been very, very good for the White Sox this year. Um, they get uh, Jason Frazier and Zach Stewart back uh, in return. Zach Stewart is a is really a back-of-the-rotation type of guy. And if you can't get it done with your starting pitching, then Jason Frazier really isn't going to make a difference. Uh, I understand the Mark Tehan dump um, a little bit as far as as far as it being a salary dump, but like I said, I mean you're in the midst of of a, of a of a pennant race right here right now in the AL Central, and I don't understand getting rid of Edwin Jackson when. Um, when really the only sustainable guy you have is Mark Burley, because we've talked about it before, Jake Peavy is just not the Jake Peavy of old. He's not, you can't depend on Jake Peavy going out there and giving you um, a quality game. Um, my next one is the Cleveland Indians. Uh, they took a huge, huge gamble with getting Ibaldo Jimenez, and that centerpiece of that trade going the other way to uh, Colorado is Drew Pomeranz, who is a big left-hander. Um, he destroyed Class A hitting and has looked just as good in double-A. Um, White is no pushover himself. He put up a 3.60 ERA and three starts for the Indians before um, actually a finger injury kept him out since May. Uh, I'm not sold on Jimenez at all. Um, I think... I think he's a flash in the pan. He had one good half season in Colorado uh, before he just, um, I don't want to say fell apart, but regressed. Uh, he has lost velocity on his, on his fastball. He's, he, can't, he can't seem to find the strike zone, and I think Colorado just simply robbed Cleveland in this one. I'm not, uh, I am not sold on Jimenez at all, and by the time Jimenez takes the mound, Friday against Texas, uh, Cleveland might be five games out of the race in the AL Central because they've got a very, they've got Boston, wh who they're taking on right now, and then they've got the Rangers next. So that's a, those are a tough couple of matchups for the Indians there. Um, I don't like the Los Angeles Angels standing pat, especially after what the Rangers did. They did absolutely nothing, and I really thought that they needed to do something to offset the acquisitions of uh, Yohara and Mike Adams, and they didn't do anything. And the New York Yankees, too. Uh, after CC Sabathia, who do they have in that rotation? A.J. Burnett is not the same pitcher that we saw in Toronto or in Florida. Um, I don't know how much you could depend on Phil Hughes, but you've got Bartolo Colon at the end of that rotation. Uh, I'm not sold on that whatsoever. Same thing with the Boston Red Sox. Like you said, Tony, uh, Clay Buchholz um, is, I believe I, what I saw today is they moved him to the 60-day uh, DL. And Eric Bedard is somebody who I don't think you could depend on coming in here. He's hot-tempered, too. Uh, coming into Fenway and pitching in that pressure cooker that is Fenway Park. Um, that's going to definitely be tough. And then lastly, I have the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, again, and this is, this is based off what the San Francisco Giants did. Uh, the San Francisco Giants went out and got themselves Carlos Beltran, and they went out and got themselves Orlando Cabrera. And what did the Arizona Diamondbacks do? They went out and got Jason Marquis who is notorious for having bad second halves of the season. And 
I, I just think Arizona could have done more to help them, uh, to help them in that race in the in the NL West there, and I don't think they did enough to do that. Um, other than that, that's uh, that's um, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, biggest losers though for me uh, is out of my list is I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, I might have to go with the with the New York Yankees just because of what of, of their pitching staff. They have nobody else besides after CC Sabathia, and my biggest winner has to be the Texas Rangers for the Mike Adams and the Koji Yohara acquisitions. That's what I think. Um, yeah, I'm right there on board with it. <laughs> um, other than that, though, um, we had something else big happen in uh, yesterday, though. In a game between the Los Angeles Angels and the Detroit Tigers, we saw a big heavyweight matchup between uh, Justin Verlander of the Detroit Tigers and Jared Weaver of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, uh, where Justin Verlander ended up taking a no-hitter into the eighth inning. And he already has a, uh, a no-hitter this year, but... This is, I believe, the third time he's take he's he's taken a no hitter into the eighth inning, and this guy is Justin Verlander's having simply a remarkable season. Now, there's some other stuff that we have to get into here regarding this game, uh, but what what did you think, Tony, of of the performance yesterday by Justin Verlander um, against Jared Weaver? Tony. We might have lost Tony. Tony, are you there? Oh, up! Oh, you're a little, you're a little soft there, Tony. Okay, I'm bringing myself up here. Ah, uh, we got you. There we go. Right. Go. Go um, ahead, though. I, I enjoyed it as a baseball fan, and you know, not as only as a Tiger fan, but as a baseball fan in general, because uh, you know, it got our minds off the, the trade deadline, just the whole blitz of the trade deadline. Um, you know, this was a great game. Verlander had excellent control. Uh, you know, I believe it, did he walk? He walked Bobby Abreu twice, I believe. That's yes, that's correct. And then you know, we'll we'll get into the other uh, uh, shenanigans, if you will, uh, of the game. But just, I, I really think that Justin Verlander has got to legitimately be considered for MVP of the American League this year. Not only Cy Young, but American League uh, MVP. Uh, Tony, I, I I totally agree with you on that one. I mean, yes, I th- I think he's a, right now. To tell you the truth, I think he's a shoe in after yesterday because his his closest competition, as far as the AL Cy Young award goes, was Jared Weaver and Justin Verlander. Totally got the better end of. Uh, of, of Jared Weaver, and yes, you are absolutely correct. I, I really, really think that you have to uh, that you have to have some serious consideration for naming Justin Verlander the the most valuable player. Um, it's between him and Adrian Gonzalez, and unfortunately, I think the I think that you know the voting and everything that um, is put into MVP. It's it's not it's it's not. The players that get voted the MVP aren't necessarily the most valuable player. The most they're the most exceptional player. Um, I think if you take Adrian Gonzalez and Justin Verlander, 
Justin Verlander, if you take Justin Verlander out of the Tigers rotation, then there's no way that they're in first place. They may be right. in second place. They may be in third place. But given the, the lineup that Boston currently has right now, you take Adrian Gonzalez out of there, and you can argue that Boston is still going to be in first place, and you can argue that Boston is going to make the playoffs without Adrian Gonzalez in that lineup. I'll tell you what. If you want any proof of what Adrian Gonzalez will do for you in a lineup, look at the San Diego Padres this year. They are a wreck. Oh, Non-producing, last place. They, their draft picks have done absolutely zero. Mm-hmm. And just what he is doing for the three and four holes in Boston's lineup is just amazing. But that being said, that being said, of course, your baseball purists are probably going to come out. It's like, well, you've got a guy who's pitching every five days versus a guy that's coming to the ballpark and playing every day. So you, you've got two challenged mentalities, and it really depends on the voters. And you have to judge both bodies of work here because of the fact Adrian Gonzalez, this is his first year in the American League, mm-hmm. and doing this, you know, I, you could make a very strong case for both parties. You know, I, I'm a Tigers fan, but I know it you know, what Adrian Gonzalez brings to the table. And he has absolutely, you know, charged that Red Sox lineup up to the point, you know, the, their treacherous beginning was standing. You know, it, it's been unbelievable. But, I, you know, it's going to be that mentality of pitching every five days and being the most valuable to your team versus being an everyday contributor and being the most valuable to your team. Hey, you know what? Glad I'm not a voter. We're just sitting here being analysts. That's that's right. And you know what? When it comes down to it, um, Adrian Gonzalez is probably going to win the the MVP. And um, just because of what he's doing this season, I mean, he's he's an absolute monster at the plate this year. Um, and then you've got to consider, you know, where he's playing. He's playing in a in a in a high pressure situation in Boston, um, he's playing in the spotlight in Boston, and and that's what it's going to come down to. It's not. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to change this year. All of a sudden, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna vote in the most value, the truly the most valuable player. You're gonna still voters are still gonna vote in the most exceptional player, and and that's and that's just the way it is, and and that's okay with me. I mean, I I mean, I don't care if Justin Verlander doesn't get the most valuable player. Being a Tigers fan, um, I would like him to see that get that Cy Young award though, um, which I think he uh, he's a lock for at this point. Um, but as far as later in that game, um, yesterday's game goes between the Angels and Tigers, uh, tensions got a little uh, tensions got a little heavy though. We saw. Um, we actually saw Jared Weaver get tossed from the game after throwing at uh, at Alex Avila at his head. Um, he buzzed the tower there, and basically what happened was is uh, Jared Weaver wasn't happy with uh, what Carlos Guillen did previously. The previous ba- as the previous batter, um, Carlos Guillen hit a home run, um, looked at the home run, stared down Weaver, flipped the bat. And uh, trotted around the bases. Um, I thought the umpire did a good job. Saw that um, things were gonna get a, might get a little bit out of control from there. Went out there right after that happened. 
warned both benches, and then right after that, Weaver threw at uh, Alex Avila and um, was tossed from there. But what this, uh, what actually happened? This this didn't start there. This happened um, earlier in the game when Maglia Ordonez was up to bat, and Weaver thought that Maglia Ordonez was trying to show him up after Ordonez was sitting there watching his home run. When in actuality, Ordonez wasn't watching the home run. What Ordonez was doing was making sure that his home run was going to stay fair and not go foul, which is okay with me. Um, but uh, Weaver is a hothead, just like his brother Jeff was, uh, and he kept on mouthing off to uh, Cabrera. Ordonez, Guillen, the entire game. And Guillen wasn't having any more of it. And I really don't have a problem with what Guillen did. Um, I thought what Jared Weaver did was a crybaby move um, because he was crying to the umpire after uh, after Guillen's home run. Um, very, very immature on Weaver's part and very, very selfish um, on Weaver's part as well because... The Angels were very, very much in that game. It was only three to nothing, and he took himself out of the game and maybe uh, ruined their chances of winning that game. And keep in mind too that the Angels are in a pennant race in the AL West right now. Tony, what are your thoughts? You know, and, and I'm going to go out even on a limb even further than this. I think he made a damage to Cy Young. Oh, absolutely, totally agree. Because the fact. You know what? What is one characteristic of a good Cy Young winner? Handles pressure and doesn't show it. Yep. Composure. And that's how Greg Maddox got along. That's how Tom Glavin got along. When the pressure is up, when the game is on the line, you, you fight your way through it. You know, you might grind a little bit, but you know what? You don't you don't fall. You, you don't cry if somebody, uh, you know, if, if somebody's tends to show you up. I mean, look, I look at it this way. Maglio Donias did not show Jared Weaver up. Absolutely the not. Best, the best analogy I heard about this yesterday is he did a Carlton Fisk in the 75 World Series. Yep. <laughs> because, because of the fact that he, Maglio hardly pulls the ball in. And he he thought he pulled it foul. Yeah. And, and that's the whole reason why he, you know, you had mentioned that he didn't want to watch the home run. He was trying to make sure the doggone thing stayed fair. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I have no problem with that. But the constant chirping of Jared Weaver, you know, like you said, he told Cabrera to tell Ardonias he better be running the next ball out, which Ardonias ran the next ball out, then chirped at Jared Weaver some more. So what ends up happening from there, You have the whole, you have the whole homer, you have the the buzz pitch. He ha- he has a few choice words for the umpire leaving the dugout. You know, Justin Verlander is you know just sitting in the dugout. It was a great shot by the Fox Sports uh, Detroit crew of of Justin Verlander in the dugout, basically saying, "I didn't hit anybody." <laughs> you know, he got warned. Well, and then the next part comes up where Eric Ibar drops a bunt. Mm-hmm. So, which. You know, we'll let you. I have my opinion on that, but go ahead and get the backstory on that. Well, Eric Ibar lays down the button, uh, and 
and again, you've, you've got to keep things in perspective here. Uh, this is a three to nothing game at this point. Um, Eric Ibar, this is what Eric Ibar does. He bunts the ball. It's this isn't something that's new. This isn't this isn't Bobby Abreu up there, you know, trying to bunt for a base hit. This is Eric Ibar up there who's done it on many, many, many occasions. Not to mention, this is what the Angels do. This is part of their game. The Angels in this sense are are a national league team because they like to play the small ball here and manufacture runs. That's why that I, that's one of the reasons why I think Mike Sosha is such a great manager. Uh but Justin Verlander had a no-hitter at this point, uh, and that is one of those unwritten rules in baseball, quote-unquote, is you don't try to bunt for a base hit late in a game when there is a no-hitter on the line. Uh, Justin Verlander took exception to it, uh, and what actually happened from here is Justin Verlander, when he was fielding it, could have had Ibar at first, I believe, but ended up throwing it away, um, gave himself an error, uh, and I, that same inning, the Angels ended up getting a hit in that inning. I forgot who. Oh, Maceris Torres ended up getting the hit, and that was the end of the no-hitter. But what that did is that is that enabled the Angels to get back into that game. And now there's a whole lot of arguments saying that, you know, that's not what should have been done, um, considering that, you know, there was a no-hitter on the line. You've got to honor the those unwritten rules in baseball. Um, and then there's the argument that, you know, if Guillen didn't do what he did in the previous inning, then, then uh, you know, that wouldn't have been the case. Arbar wouldn't have laid down the... But which I don't I don't buy. When you're in, When you're in a pennant race... When you when you are you know trailing by a slim margin late in a game, you throw those unwritten rules out the window, and you do what you have to do to win a game. And I have absolutely no issue with what Eric Ibar did. He did what he had to do to help his team win that game, and it worked because the Angels ended up getting two runs that inning, and they ended up taking Verlander out of the game in the ninth. Um, well, so. Go ahead, keep Tony. in mind too. Keep in mind too. Detroit's infield misplayed the first run coming in. They had Ibar in a rundown. Yep. And the first baseman Cabrera didn't come down to home plate. Mm-hmm. Instead, Justin Verlander got caught up the line. Yep. And it, it risked. It, he was risking major injury. Um, even though Eric Ibar gave him a little forearm business as he was passing by. Yep. To score. So keep in mind, you know, not only do you have the, you know, as far as the, the bunt to drop it down, the errant play in the infield, just you know, at that point you could have just given up the run for for the out, and it would have been even less damage. Absolutely. So in that in that particular case, yeah, it I totally agree with you. It's. You know, another classic example of this is 10 years ago. In fact, 10 years ago in May, um, Kurt Schilling had a no-hitter in the eighth inning uh, when he pitched for the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, against the San Diego Padres, and Ben Davis dropped a bunt during a no-hitter and ended up getting on with a single. It was a 2 nothing game, and everybody challenged the whole rules. Oh, it's, you know, the, the situation where the unwritten rule. Well, the Padres and the Diamondbacks are both in a pennant race, too. 
even though it was in May, still you drop a you drop a bunt in a two nothing game in the eighth inning to break up a no hitter. Well, that ended up getting a lot of press, and that story ended up coming back around yesterday. Um, of course, the media is a little bit more now with the major league network, and <laughs> you know everybody has got more history to look at than anything. But honestly, it's you know, and then of course. Justin Verlander, being the competitor he is, kept thinking he, he thought that Eric Ivar showed him up, and you know he uh, got caught uh, chirping a little bit and said he was going to uh, put one in his back and and Ivar's back next time he saw. Him. Yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be interesting the next time these two teams uh, face off against each other, but. I mean, I, I, I don't have an issue with what Ibar did. I think what he did was uh, was justifiable, given the circumstances. Um, I mean, it's not, like I said, it's not like Abreu was up there bunting, even though Abreu, Abreu does uh, does have some wheels on him himself, and he might be able to get a bunt for base hit. But still, that's not what Abreu is known for. Abreu is known for crushing the ball. Um and it's not like uh, the Tigers were up seven to nothing or ten to nothing. They were only up three to nothing in this game. Um, and like I said too, this isn't. It's it's not like the Tigers were playing the Kansas City Royals or or it's not like they were playing the Seattle Mariners. They were playing the Angels, who are very very much in a race of their own in the AL West. They you know and, and Tigers fans of anybody should know that every win is important in Major League Baseball. I, you know, I, I, I just have to go back to say 163. That's the only thing I'm going to throw out there to Tigers fans, and they should get it, the ones that are out there um, bitching about uh, about Eric Ibar trying to lay down a, a bunt for a base hit. No issue with what he did. No issue with what Guillen did either as far as, um, as, far as uh, you know, watching his home run. I like it. I like it. He's standing up for Megley Ordonez. He's standing up for... Uh, for um, Miguel Cabrera, he's standing up for his teammates. I like what he did, um, and you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, the media members in the Detroit area were kind of getting on Guillen a little bit. Same thing with fans saying that if Guillen didn't do that, then you know, then you don't put Alex Avila in the position that you put him in, and you know, you you don't put Verlander in the position that he was in because Eric Ibar wouldn't have bunted. I don't buy that whatsoever. Jared, this is 100% Jared Weaver's fault with what happened yesterday um, after he started getting in that little hissy fit after what Ordonez, what he think Ordonez was doing, which is what Ordonez wasn't doing. Uh, and like I said, Weaver, in, if you want to hit somebody, then hit him. Just don't go for the head. You know, get him in the leg. Get him in the back. Don't go for the head, though. That is that it's dangerous, and it's it's something that uh, not only that Weaver it's it's something that Weaver is going to do not only to hurt himself in, la- in yesterday's game, but he's probably going to get it, end up getting suspended for it as well. Well, don't do it to the catcher either, because you know what the catcher is going to remember. He was a catcher, Absolutely. so you know what the next next time they go, it's like <laughs> I remember you. That's right. <laughs> um, other than that, though, that's going to do it this week for Around the Diamond. Make sure you tune in next week where we'll be back at a regular time. We're a half hour um, later this week, but uh, but we should be back at a regular time, 8 o'clock Eastern time next Saturday, 7 o'clock Central, right here on the Majors.net. Any closing thoughts, Tony? 
Uh, no, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to another great week of baseball. Uh, you know, hey, you got uh, you got the NFL back in, too, and college football starting up. You know what? Hey, tune into all the shows here on the majors. That's right. That's right. And um, next one up, we've got the majors live tomorrow, so make sure you check that out. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the majors.net. So for Tony, for Tip, who isn't here tonight, I am Adam saying have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next time.